0: Saying that we share in Christ and are being built up by him, being built up in him, on him, around him, like a house. That's the example the author gives, okay? If indeed, he says, verse 6, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. That's going to be an important line because he's about to draw a contrast to that uh, to show us what it's like to not be that, a part of the house that Christ is building up. And then he'll repeat verse six again in verse 14 where he says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's what he's challenging the Hebrews to do. It's our confidence in Jesus that gives us confidence we are a part of God's house that he is building up. So hold fast, he tells them. Stand firm, don't wander off. Don't think you can be part of the house of God, uh, the, the, the house uh, that God is building, without Christ. There's no house without him. Those promises of the Old Testament given to God's people, they're all real. He didn't bait and switch his people. All of that stuff is real, it's true, but you can't leave Jesus and go back to Judaism to get him. That's what he wants them to see, very clearly. You know, he's trying to tell them, he's... We're going the same way that we were before. When when you were Jews, the author is trying to explain to him, you know, we're still heading in the same direction that we always have, but we've changed lanes here, right? We've changed lanes now, and if you go back and hop back in that one, it's going to lead you astray. It's happened to God's people before, as we'll see, he brings out in this passage. He gives an example of that. Don't let that happen to you. Stay here. You're on the right road, the author is saying. Endure to the end because this road that you're on leads to rest. Okay? Now let's read Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read from verse 7 all the way into chapter 4, verse 10 to get what he's, he's telling them here. So here now the words of the one true and living God. Therefore For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest." saying through David so long afterward and the words already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken of another day later on so then there remains a sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his that's the word of the lord father i pray this morning as We look at this passage, that you would do two things for us, that you would encourage us to run and run well, and Lord God, that we would see the rest that is already ours. Rest in your son, Jesus, this weekly rest that we observe as your people. Lord, that there would be great encouragement in this, that your warnings would be heard, Your assurances would be given and received, that you would receive all the glory and that we might find a blessing in it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so again, the author is encouraging these first century Christians who would come out of Judaism to stay the course. You've been given the fullness of God's revelation, he says. It doesn't get any better than this, this side of glory. So don't be tempted to turn your back on the light that you've been shown and find some other way to God. There's not one. And he gives an example of what it looks like to have an affiliation with God and a desire to be associated with him, to have him as an acquaintance, but without having a saving relationship with him by faith in Christ the Son. That's partly what's in view here in this passage, particularly in the warning. The warning is just as relevant for us today in the church as it was then too by the way there are people sitting in church today now have been already before we got here this morning will be later on today in other parts of the world there are people sitting in church today who will be in hell forever that's a sobering reality It's it's an awful thing to have to think about. But it's nonetheless true. And it's not God's fault, you know. It's not like God's some big meanie who, you know, strings them along, lets them, you know, believe in him, and then he pulls the rug out from under them at the end and sends them to hell. It doesn't work that way. No, they never believed in him. They never had that belief to begin with. That's the point. They've hardened their hearts They might have gone along on the ride for a little while, maybe even experienced some blessing in it, but they don't enter the rest God has for those who are in Christ. They don't endure to the end because of unbelief. This warning is for those in the church, and the warning is don't fall away, right? Don't fall away. Don't be counted among those who harden their hearts and are disobedient to God, he says. You know, demonstrating their unbelief by their disobedience. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's verse 12. That's the warning, okay? And then here's the counsel. These will be our three points this morning. Have faith. Fear God. And fight to enter that rest. So this is, a, this is part one of a two-part sermon that we're going to do on this passage on endurance and rest, okay? We'll be here again next week looking closer at the rest part specifically and really zooming in on that because there's a lot there. But this morning, we're going to look a little bit more at the endurance part. The Christian life is an endurance race, and those who do not endure to the end do not rest, that teaching's clear in this passage, and it's the main idea of the sermon this morning. So the question then is how, right? How do we endure? How can we be sure we finish the race and enter that rest? And that's the counsel the author gives. So again, that gives us our three points. Have faith. He talks about that verses 7 through 19, chapter 3. Fear God, he begins to say in chapter 4, verse 1 and fight, strive to enter that rest, verse 11. So point number one, have faith. The author says if you don't go on to the end in faith, you will be lost. This comes up a lot in the book of Hebrews. We've talked about it some already in previous sermons, this idea of falling away. We, we get these warnings that seem to suggest it's possible for you to lose your seat in heaven. How does that work? Isn't our hope eternal? Don't we have eternal security in Christ? Isn't there an eternal rest for us? Isn't it guaranteed? And the answer to all those questions is yes, unequivocally, yes. Yes. So why are these warnings about falling away, being given to people who are in the church already, who claim to be Christians? I mean, we're here, aren't we? And this is where we're supposed to be? Aren't we in? That's what they thought. That's exactly what they thought. Okay, so this is what's important to understand and why the author uses this this example of the Israelites in the wilderness. That's what those people who were waiting on the promised land thought. You know, this is for us. We're in the right club. We're not in that club. We're in this club. But there's something more to it than that, we're finding out, that the author says, isn't there? Isn't that what he's saying? What's required to enter that rest is faith and those who didn't have it didn't get it. So here's why. Here's why these warnings are given to those who are already a part of the club, uh, who identify with belonging to the people of God in the church already. It's because there's a big difference between what we understand as perseverance of the saints, an important doctrine, a biblical doctrine, that assures us we cannot lose our salvation. That is true. There's a difference, though, between that and a kind of Eternal security where someone professes faith, gets baptized, and then later abandons the faith altogether and never walks openly with the Lord again. When we talk about that, when we talk about perseverance of the saints, about not being able to lose our salvation, about once being saved, always being saved, we're not talking about that guy, okay? We know there are no such things as used to be Christians, no such thing. That's one side of this coin, okay? People can't say, well, I used to be a Christian and now I'm an atheist. No. The truth is they they were never a Christian to begin with. If If they had been, they would have been united to Christ and Christ loses none of those he comes to save. So the other side of this coin, though, is that you can't be saved by proxy. You can't be saved by your parents' faith. You can't be born into it. You must be born again. You can't be saved by being a member of the church your family has been a member of for generations, and they're all buried in the cemetery. No, you have to have faith, a faith that endures to the end. Have you ever met anyone that you're friends with in school that you worked with that you 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 know grew up in church they went to they went to church camp like two of our boys did just this past week they went to church camps they did the vbs things right they were in youth group but you can tell by the way they walk and the way that they talk the way that they live their lives the fruit of their lives that they don't seem to really believe what the bible says about jesus they've got things they'll say about Jesus. But they, you can just, you can tell, you can hear it, you can see it, they don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus. If you ask them, they, they believe there's a heaven, and if there's a heaven, they're in, but it's, they're open to the possibility there might not be, and if there's not, that's okay, right, because this is what they're used to, this is what they grew up with, and it's comfortable, and, and they're used to it, it's all they've ever known, and all their friends and family are there that's not faith that's unbelief the bible doesn't teach that anyone who says they believe in jesus and just goes back to living however they want will persevere to the end that's one side of that coin and he doesn't say that just outwardly being associated with the people of god saves them either that's the other And that's evident here in these verses where the author of Hebrews brings Psalm 95 forward, talking about Israel when they were delivered out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. They were God's people. They had affiliation with the one true and living God, Yahweh. They weren't outside the household of God. They were very much inside the household of God a part of his covenant community, and they experienced great blessings and benefits there. They saw miracles performed by God for them. The plagues that God sent on Egypt, all of of that, remember that? (laughs) Him him being present with them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of, 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 of fire by night. Parting of the Red Sea, they were there for that. Got water from a rock because a man hit it with a stick. Found manna every morning from heaven to feed them. They saw all of this. They saw God Almighty delivering them out of bondage, intervening for them at every turn, fighting their battles for them against their enemies. And yet, there were still those who didn't believe. How is that possible? They didn't believe their own eyes or what? They believed what they saw, and they believed God was who he says he was. But belief isn't just an assent to some knowledge of the truth. Demons believe and shudder. James tells us. It's a surrender of the heart. And recognition of who God is and trusting him. That's what belief is. It's believing if if there were a chair sitting here. It's not just believing if I sat in that chair, it would hold me. It's me sitting down in it and resting there. That's belief, that's faith. There was no rest for them who didn't have that. They did not enter the rest that God had for them because of unbelief, it says, verse 19. And so this is the next of six warnings we see in the book as a whole, in the book of Hebrews. Do not harden your hearts as they did, as God's people did in the wilderness. Take care, it says, verse 12. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. And so how do we prevent that from happening? You must have faith faith in Christ. Remember, again, they're flirting with this idea of turning their backs on Jesus and the teaching of the apostles to go back to Judaism. The author's leveraging what they, he knows they understand very well about God and the promise and of, of rest in the land that he has prepared for them. And he's saying, no Jesus, no rest. The same was true of Israel in the wilderness. They didn't enter the land because of unbelief and that's what these folks are in danger of now and you look back at israel they were motivated by a promise conditioned upon obedience they were motivated by a promise conditioned upon obedience now that doesn't negate what we said about faith being what is required We have to recognize that it's the faith that begets the obedience in the first place. But obedience is a condition nonetheless. There are blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience in God's economy. That was true then, it's true now. Their willful disobedience and obstinance in the wilderness because of unbelief is why the older generation that left Egypt didn't make it into the promised land. They died before they got there. No endurance, no rest. No endurance, no rest. And you have to have faith to endure to the end. That goes back to our main idea again the Christian life is an endurance race, and those who do not endure to the end do not rest. Now, here's something worth mentioning and vitally important to understand and to appreciate that I want us to all connect with here for a second, okay? We're not running this race alone. Isn't that a blessing? We're not in this race alone. God doesn't want you running this race where it's just you and God against the world. You ever feel like that sometimes though? Isn't it exhausting? It's not supposed to be that way. We have each other in the church. It's not you and God against the world. It's us with God for the world. We collectively joined together, united together by faith in him, are his bride, his help meet. Faithfully carrying out our responsibility to help him carry out his mission. That's why God gave Adam Eve, isn't it? To help Adam carry out the mission God gave him? The church is the bride of Christ. His help meet. And you individually are not the church. We collectively are the church. And that's a refreshing reminder because sometimes it can feel. It can feel like it's just me and Jesus against the world. Like it's hard and exhausting and lonely. And we grumble about how hard it is and might even be tempted to believe it's not worth it the way the Hebrews were. But look at the way the author says we can prevent this sort of grumbling against God. God as the Israelites did in verse 13. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're in this together. To encourage one another and remind one another of the greatness of God's promise to us in Christ. One of the remedies to that sort of grumbling we're prone to we, we see here and we see other places in the Bible, is to stoke one another up, right? Help one another up. Drag them along if you got to, right? Don't sit down yet. Get up. We got to keep going. You can do it. It'll be worth it. There's something to that, and we need that. There's something to belonging to a larger body of people joined together in Christ, heading the same direction, looking forward to the same things. We were meant to thrive in that way. We will not thrive, we will not endure, if left to ourselves. We need faith to endure to the end of the race, and the obedience God requires flows out of that faith. It is a result of our faith. And of course, we know the ultimate obedience that is required is fulfilled in Christ's obedience, and we only have that, we only demonstrate that we have that if we continue as we began. If we don't continue as we began, it only shows that we are not in Christ. So again, the instrument by which we enter that rest is not obedience. I need to make that clear. It is faith. And not even the faith saves you, does it? We've talked about this before. You know, Jesus saves you. But faith is how you get Jesus. It's the instrument by which we receive the grace of God and salvation. It's not simply having faith. Lots of people have faith. It's not about having faith, it's about the object of your faith, isn't it? What is the object of that faith? The world doesn't ask you to answer that question. They don't care. It's not important. It's just important that everybody just has faith, whatever that is. But no, the object of your faith matters a great deal. And if we as Christians have the kind of faith that we know we're to have, that it will look like it. That's the obedience part where that comes in. It will look like enduring to the end and not wavering from it. What it is we say we believe. And in a very real way, it looks like believing it so much, there's an element of fear for losing it. Fear of being found without it. So that's the next point. How do we endure to the end? How do we enter into that rest? Fear God. In chapter 3, verse 12 through 410, the author really starts getting into this judgment for rebellion and hardness of heart stuff. God was provoked to anger against the people of Israel, and people died. People were cut off. As I swore in my wrath, he says, they shall not enter my rest. In a very real way, y'all, we must fear God if we're going to endure to the end. This is, you know, this is not automatic. (laughs) There are some people who think they'll make it and won't by the looks of it. People who say, ah, well, you know, I don't really worry too much about that. You know, I'll be fine. I have faith. I've been baptized. I believe in Jesus. That's exactly the kind of approach the author warns them they should not have. Don't assume because you go to church, grew up in a Christian home, that this rest is for you. That's the warning. There's urgency the author brings out here. Today, he says, verse 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Are you a part of God's people today, joined to him in faith, by faith in Christ, today? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not next week. The day of salvation is always today. It's never tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not next year. It's not when things finally settle down for you and you can give some thought to God in eternity. Today is the day of salvation. If you have not believed this good news that God sent his son into the world to die for sinners, here it is being offered to you freely of God's grace and you must believe it now. That's the message today. Don't stop. Don't pass go. Do not collect $200. Don't, and don't try to clean yourself up first. It breaks my heart when I see people there. It's like the Lord's brought them along so far where they didn't want to hear anything about it, and they kind of come up to this point where they're beginning to understand some lights are coming on, and they're like, Well, I know I don't deserve it, and I'd have to change all these things about my life before I come. I can't go over there without this other stuff, and I'm not ready to let it go yet. No, come first, and he will clean you up. Stand where you are now as a sinner and believe on the Lord Jesus today, and you will be saved. The warning here is against what we call apostasy, right? And like it or not, fearing God's judgment for it is the motivator the author uses to encourage us to finish the race. You can squirm if you want, you know, fear the Lord, fear God, all this kind of stuff. You can understand it wrongly if you want to. The reality is this is a motivator motivator the author uses to encourage us to, to stay in the fight, to keep on in the race. Warning them against apostasy. Apostasy is not holding fast to Christ and the gospel to the end. That's what it is, right? It's departing from God and His ways. And the thought of that should frighten us. Judgment for that should frighten us. Anyone who does that is no longer recognized as belonging to Christ and therefore fails to enter the rest that God has promised them. Is that not a fearful thing? So what's interesting about this is that this apostasy the author is so adamant about warning them about isn't something that happens to people who have nothing to do with the true and living God. These warnings aren't given to those who are outside the church, but to those who are inside the church. This is a fearful thing that he's describing. It's something that only ever happens to people who appear to be true believers, this terrible, awful thing that he's talking about, this apostasy thing, it only ever happens to people we thought were believers. That's who the warning's for. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach that rest, that reward at the end of the race. Chapter 4, verse 1. So how in the world does such an awful thing happen? Practically, there's some really general ways that we could answer that question. We'd all come up with the same answer, right? But think about it for just a second, all right? That that happens in the heart at first. It doesn't start with walking out the church doors and never coming back again. It doesn't start with turning your back on God and walking away. It starts in the heart first. It often starts with isolation. And in that isolation, we grow discontent with the people of God, And consequently, disjointed from the people of God and begin questioning what God has said. And that's a dangerous place to be. A place where unbelief and grumbling fester in the heart, and we're tempted to believe the good news isn't so good after all. That's what begets rebellion. That's what the Israelites did in the wilderness. For good news came to us just as it did to them. It says, chapter 4, verse 2. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who believed enter that rest. We need faith if we're going to endure to the end and enter that rest. We need to heed these warnings and fear God if we're going to enter that rest. We can't think we're just going to coast on in because of our loose associations with our religion. And lastly, we need to fight to enter that rest. That's the last point. Have faith, fear God's warnings. And verse 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know, let's go. Let's, let's do it, let's press on. In light of all of this, Let's finish this race well. You know, it's, it's not, it's not, well, we have all we need to run this race, so let's not do it. It's, we have all we need, so let's do it. Imagine you're training for the Boston Marathon. 26.2 miles, I think it is. That, that makes me want to sit down just thinking about it. But, Imagine you've trained for it, you know, and I've known some endurance athletes. I'm I'm, You know, I've heard all about the the training the preparations that they go through and it's not just gradually working up to running longer and longer distances That's a big part of it But it's the only part we really think about there's all this other stuff that goes into it the stretching the nutrition the hydration Right, and then it's the creams and the clothing and the little stickers you put on different parts of your body to keep from chafing You know it's the socks, the right socks and the right shoes so that you don't get blisters and shin splints. Imagine you've done all the training. You've made all the preparations. You have everything you need to run, to run this race. And you show up to the Boston Marathon and you say, well, I've got everything I need to run it, so I don't need to actually run it. That makes zero sense. Having everything you need motivates you to run it. That's like what the author is saying here, only the stakes are higher. What you need to finish the race has been given to you. And so run. Run to the end. Don't stop. Don't look back. Don't try to find a shortcut or go another way. Run and run like crazy to the end. It's going to be difficult. It's gonna stretch you in ways you don't want to stretch. It's going to stretch your limits, but there's rest for you, and there's no rest for you unless you finish. Starting well is not enough. Starting well is not enough. You must finish, you must press on. Lots of us can start things well, can't we? It's the follow through that's hard, Starting well is not enough. You must finish. And in order to do that, you must believe the juice is worth the squeeze. My wife will tell you, I have a very strict, the juice must be worth the squeeze policy at home. Right? There are just some things. I I don't mind if something's hard. I just want to make sure it's worth it. And so I won't stand in line for an hour at the apple orchard for apple donuts before we leave there I I can't bring myself to do it and she has to kind of look at me in this special way that melts my heart in order for me to agree to stand in line for ice cream with all of the children the juice is just not worth the squeeze to me it's not worth the wait there are things not worth the wait Woe to those who find the rest that God promises not worth the wait, worth fighting for, worth enduring to the end for, whatever it takes, whatever we lose along the way. The rest promised to us is real. And it's worth it, and it requires faith, unwavering faith in the promises of God that are only offered to us in Christ the Son. You must believe in Him, or you won't make it. And not making it is a fearful thing. Fear God, fear God, and fight to the finish. You know, today, that's a key word in the Christian life. You don't see God giving people commands in the Bible and then asking them to chew on it a while. You know, to to take that and go back and consider that and see if that suits you. No. Today, he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Today is the day of salvation. Perseverance is a today thing, too. It's it's not something to think about tomorrow. But today and every day. You think about when Paul says to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Did he say that? Well, That doesn't mean go to bed at night worrying whether you're saved or not. It doesn't mean walk around in a panic all the time thinking, well, the jury's still out on you unless you... Prove uh, you deserve that promised rest. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying here, but in a very real way, don't end up like the Israelites who assumed too much and didn't want it enough to fight for it, to endure to the end. Strive, fight to enter that rest. Know that Christ has prepared a place for you. If you have believed in him for the forgiveness of your sins, he, he says he has prepared a place for you. And he will take you to be with himself so that where he is you may be also. Do you remember that? You remember what he says after that? This is John chapter 14, verse 4. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas' disciples says, no, we don't. How, how would we know? We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way to get there. And Jesus answers with that verse, we all know, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have Christ, you know the way to where he is. You have what is required to finish the race. So run it well. Run it with confidence. You'll make it all the way to the end. But don't stop running. Because those who don't endure to the end show whatever confidence they had was not in Jesus and they will not enter that rest. Thinking about this passage moving into this week, I want to encourage you, don't be closed off to anything that God has said. Don't resist him. Don't grumble that things are happening in your life that are uncomfortable for you. I know I'm asking a hard thing. I'm reminding myself of this. Don't grumble at the discomfort that comes with endurance in this life. Grow to expect that. Look for how God is working in it, the way he did with Joseph. Joseph being reminded that God is with you. Don't grumble that things aren't happening on your timeline as quick as you would like for them to happen. And that there are difficulties in this life even though you do belong to Him, even though you are making right choices, even though you are seeking to honor the Lord and walk in faithfulness and obedience to Him. That's all part of it. That's part of this race. That's part of endurance. It's a part of perseverance. It's all a part of awaiting rest from all of that. Do you get that? How much sweeter is that rest going to be? That'll be the subject of next week's sermon, where we focus on that rest that we're looking forward to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we always thank you for your word, that your word is truth, that by the power of your spirit you have allowed for us to be able to understand it. These things are too high for us, but Lord, you have made them known by giving us your son who has left us with your spirit. Father, I pray that we would take stock of this, that we would recognize the great promises that you have given to us. Lord, that they would be enough for us to endure, that your grace would be sufficient for us. We know that it is. We just need to believe it. So Lord, I pray for us here in this room that we would believe it. Lord, that you would would help us To stop and take stock of what it is you have been doing throughout all of human history. Sometimes our view gets too small and so narrow that we can't can't see all that you have done everywhere that, that we've we've been and everywhere that we are now going, Lord help us to dwell on these things, to be heavenly minded. Father, I pray that we leave here this morning with your blessing, with strength, knowing that we have everything we need to endure, everything we need to run this race well, and that we would delight in running it this week. And Lord, that we would look forward to that next checkpoint, that next rest, next Lord's Day, where we have the privilege and benefit of being fed not only from your word through our ears, but by our own mouths through your means of grace and sacrament. God, we ask all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.